Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Matthew 21, 12 through 16. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priest and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant, and they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. Good morning. How are we doing? Am I on? Is this thing working? Okay. You guys are just asleep. Okay. I hear you. Um, man, so Jesus comes in and cleans house. Uh, I have a friend who is reading the Bible, um, and then we meet, talk about it, and um, he might be he might be watching online. If so, how you doing? Um, and, uh, and he, he, when he read this story, he came back together with me and he said, you know, uh, Jesus is different than I thought. I said, what do you mean? He said, you know, I always kind of pictured him to be kind of a hippie. And I said, what do, you, what do you mean by that? He goes, you know, like real easygoing, mellow all the time, never kind of stirs things up. And he said, he comes in and turns tables over in the temple. I said, yeah, he, he is, he is uh, a man of power and authority and strength um and he knows how to take charge and so we're going to get to see what this is all about today how it applies to us today um and i have been praying for you i've been praying that god would use this passage to stir you up to wake us up to the things that that are on god's heart um and so Pray with me, and, and we'll, we'll start looking at it together. Oh, Lord, you are, <laughs> I was just thinking this morning, you are the captain of heaven's armies. And, and when we read about you in the Gospels, when we read about your first coming, you come so humble. You ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. You, you show up on the scene uh, in, in a little town called Bethlehem, and, and you're born in a stable. And Lord, you, you, are, you are humble as you are drawing people to yourself. But when you return, Lord Jesus, your word says you're coming back on a white horse, that you're coming back with a sword coming from your mouth, with your robe dipped in blood, that you're coming to vanquish evil and trample your enemies under your feet and to gather together your church 
You are a mighty warrior. You are a powerful king. And we get a little glimpse of it in this story, Lord. But we have wrong ideas about you, wrong perceptions and, and misunderstandings about who you are and, and, and the church and what the church is for. And God, would you come? Holy Spirit, would you come? And would you move powerfully among us? Would you meet with us? Would you teach us? Would you change us from the inside out? Come into this place, Lord Jesus. Walk among us. Turn over tables if you need to. Do what needs to be done, O Lord, in your church, among your people. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is actually the second time that Jesus cleanses the temple. He cleanses the temple in the beginning of his ministry in John chapter 2, and he cleanses the temple at the end of his ministry here, which we read about in three of the Gospels. As he's coming into Jerusalem, and he will soon be uh, arrested, falsely accused, and crucified, he comes into Jerusalem, and he cleanses the temple and it's amazing as you read the story, there's not a Pharisee, there's not a merchant, there's not a temple guard who stands up to Jesus. Every single person in the temple flees when he takes on power. C.H. Spurgeon says about this story, when Jesus takes to himself power, opposition ceases. And there is so much underneath this passage. There's so much here for us, for the church, that I hope that you will see today, that your eyes will be opened and that you will be stirred up by what we see. I think that there's much more to uh, what this passage has for us than what we initially see on the surface. Jesus is... He's furious at what's happening in the temple, at what's, what's happening in his father's house, the place where God, the presence of God, his father dwells on the earth. He's furious about the way that these opportunists are taking advantage of this to try and make a buck off of people's worship. He's furious about the barriers that are being put in front of people who want to come into the presence of God, right? There's money changers taking advantage, saying, oh, well, you can't use that money in this place. You're going to have to change, exchange your money for our money. There's pigeon sellers in there saying, hey, as long as you've made this journey, you, 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 you need to buy some of our pigeons. And so there's people standing in the way, creating barriers, there's, there's sin in the midst of the temple, greed, and Jesus is furious with those things. But this story goes beyond that. It's actually to show us some things about the church. It's actually going to teach us some very important things about the purpose of the church. Um, and there is gold here. <laughs> There is gold. So, I have five points. They're organized into questions that 
I think that maybe you may think um, if you are following the story, and so hopefully this will help us to follow. Um, so here's my first point, or my first question that I'm asking. What is God's house? Because Jesus says, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. What is he talking about? My house. He's standing in the temple. So do we worship in the temple anymore? No. Um, so, so does this even apply to us today? Does this have anything to do with us today? And the answer is absolutely everything. It has everything to do with us today. God's presence no longer fills the temple in Jerusalem um, or any other holy building. Instead, God, his manifest presence fills his people. His people. I'm going to talk a lot about the church today. And when I say the church, here's what I don't want you to hear. The church is not Sunday morning from, you know, 9.15 till noon. That's not the church. It's not an event. Here's not also what I do not want you to hear. It's not a building. It's not a club. The church is a people. And specifically, it's a people who are gathered together. It's a people who live in relationship. It's a family. That's what the church is. We have the church, capital C, that's the global church, that's all of God's people. But then we have the lowercase c church, that's the local church, that's, that's New King, Imago Christi, or Redeemer Church. These are, these are local churches, they are families, they are gatherings, they are assemblies of spirit-indwelt people. God-indwelt people coming together. Here's what I mean. Look at 1 Corinthians 3.16. I'm going to have several verses that I'll reference, but they're going to be on the screen because I'm going to move through a lot. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says... Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? This is what the Bible tells us. We, believers, this is people who have looked upon the person and the work of Jesus Christ. They believe that he is God's son, that he came and he lived a sinless life, that he went to the cross, that he died on the cross in our place to take our sins upon himself to pay the penalty for our sins that he was buried and that on the third day he rose from the grave defeating sin and death those who put their faith in him their trust in him here's what happens they become temples of god that god's spirit begins to dwell in them the presence of God is in every single true believer of Jesus Christ. We talk about helping people find and follow Jesus here. Do you know why that is worth giving your life to? Because it's not just like it's going to improve their life a little bit. 
here on this earth. It's not like, will we help people find Jesus because then they'll live a little bit happier life, a little bit better life, and they'll have a little bit clearer understanding of how things work. And No, I wouldn't give my life to that. This is why it's worth giving our lives to, because when a person believes in Jesus Christ, they are filled with God. They become born again. They become a brand new creature. And so it's worth dying for. It's worth living for. It's worth giving everything for, for somebody, for one more person to believe in Jesus Christ. New life gets planted like a seed inside of a soul and grows. And people are changed from the inside out as Christ lives in them. So we're temples of God. But let me give you a little insight into this verse. In the Greek, the word you is plural. It's not singular. So this is why, this is why it's important that you know how to speak Southern. <laughs> it says, do you not know that y'all are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in y'all? That's what it actually says in the Greek. Amen. Right? I'm serious. That's what it says. And so when Paul is writing this, he's not talking to one individual person. He is talking to a local church. That's very, very important. The Spirit of God does not enter into and dwell in a person so that you, by yourself, can go out there and be a church, be a temple, be a house of God all by yourself. No, no, no. The temple of the, the, the Spirit of God comes into you to make you a piece of a larger building that becomes the temple. Here's the way that Ephesians 2 describes it. Man, I'm way too fired up to get this done in 45 minutes. <laughs> Ephesians 2, 19 through 22 says this way. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of of the household of God, or could just say house. It's the Greek word oikos, same word. You are members of the household of God or house of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom, listen to this, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You see that? The church is the temple, the, the residence of God on earth. And what is the church? The collection of the blood-bought people of God. And when we come together, it is powerful. 
Listen, if, if you're watching online, I'm glad that you're watching online. I'm glad we have online for when you can't make it in or you're sick or whatever the, the, the reason might, might be, especially in these COVID days. But it's not the same, is it? It isn't the same. We know it's not the same. There's something intangible that we experience when we are present here, isn't there? I, listen, I'm, I'm glad for online. I've had to use online many times. I'm glad I've got it. I'm glad I can use it. But the spirit, the presence of God is not the same, is it, as when we're gathered together. There's something. There is something powerful. In fact, I don't have this verse, but in 1 Corinthians, Paul's teaching about the gifts of the Spirit in, in, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. And, and, and he says something there at, sort of at the end of his teaching that's very profound. He says, when the whole church is gathered together and somebody prophesies and an, and a, and a, and an unbeliever, a person who's, who's seeking out God, comes in, he says that person will fall on their knees and cry out, surely God is among you. God moves among his gathered people because of this, because we are pieces of a structure that's being joined together. That's not just talking about Sunday morning. That's talking about our lives being joined together. That's talking about community groups, relationships, dinner at each other's houses, going out to a movie together. This is, this is being joined together in relationship. And we become a dwelling place for God. Here's the way that 1 Peter 2.5 puts it. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. In other words, the church, the people of God, are the house of God. We are the house of God, the way that 1 Timothy 3.15 puts it. He says, Paul says, You may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, oikos, which is the church of the living God. So, when he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer, he's talking about us. And for those of us reading the story, he's talking to us. So what does he have to say to us about what this house is supposed to be? Well, that brings me to my second question. Why does he say a house of prayer? Why does he call his house a house of prayer? And so let me start here. What is prayer? Well, prayer is an invitation into God's actual presence. Prayer is communication with God. It's a dialogue with God. It is, a, it is coming into relationship with God. That's what prayer is. It's about relationship. And it's, it's an invitation to ask things of him, 
and to receive answers, to actually, to have God actually work and move on your behalf. If we really understood what, what an amazing thing that is, <laughs> you would go more than just, if we really understood what an amazing thing it is to ask God to do things on our behalf and him actually, him actually be roused to action, that's amazing, church. That's amazing. We have people walking all over this place thinking, I just wish I could do something about this world. This world's so broken and messed up. I just wish I could do something. I want to give my life to change something. I want my, my life to matter. We're all thinking it. We're all feeling it. And God says, talk to me. Ask me. And I will move. Leonard Ravenhill says, no man is greater than his prayer life. And I would say the same is true of the church. No church, no church will be greater than its prayer life. Why? Because, because we do not have if we do not ask. We do not have if we do not ask. Prayer is the place where we take hold of God and God works. We can do nothing without him, the Bible says. He says, you can't do anything without me. And so we can't do anything without prayer. You get that? We, we can't do anything without, without prayer. We don't pray before the work. Prayer is the work. We have it in our minds that, you know, I need to come up with a plan ask God to bless it, and then get to work. No. No, 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 no. We need to get on our knees until it is accomplished, and then get up and walk in the works that are already done. That's the, that's the mentality. Prayer is the work. On our knees, we change things, or God changes things, rather, when we ask Him. John Wesley once said, God does nothing but by prayer and everything with it. God does nothing but by prayer and everything with it. Remember, in, if maybe if you're familiar with the book of Acts, the book of Acts, you've got these apostles, right? These, these, these men trained by Jesus for three years, filled with the Spirit of Jesus, empowered for the works of Jesus. And what is it that they, 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 they say, this is what we've got to give ourselves to. Just two things, the word of God and prayer. There's nothing more important that we could be doing. Martin Luther once said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Prayer is the key to relationship with God. There is no relationship without communication. There is no receiving without asking. And so, it's the key. Andrew Murray once said, Prayer is not monologue, but dialogue. God's voice is its most essential part. 
listening to God's voice is the secret of the assurance that he will listen to mine. Listening to God's voice is the secret of the assurance that he will listen to mine. And so it's about relationship. And that brings me to the second reason that he calls it a house of prayer. He calls it a, a house of prayer because it is about relationship. And, and this, this is a quote from an Old Testament passage that we're going to look at, Isaiah 56. And the passage where God says this, this, this prophetic word, my house should be called a house of prayer for all peoples is a passage about God's heart, his yearning for more people to come into relationship with him, to have access to him. That's what this passage is about. So let's look at that together on the screen, Isaiah 56, 6 through 8. It says, And the foreigners who join themselves, so non-Jews, this is Old Testament, the time when God's people are the Jewish people, those are his chosen people. And, the, and, and so foreigners, anybody who's not his chosen people. And he says, the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. You know that's talking about us? We are the others? And do you know that there are more? Do you know that his heart still yearns for yet others? Do, do our hearts yearn for yet others for one more, one more soul to come in? to come to his holy mountain, to be gathered. I will gather yet others besides those already gathered. He wants relationship. And he wants relationship with people that don't yet have it. He wants it with you. And you find it in the place of prayer. And he wants relationship with others that don't yet know him. That's why he calls his house a house of prayer for all peoples, all nations, all tribes, all tongues, all peoples. And that's Jesus' heart as he cleanses the temple, as he, as he removes the barriers. This is his heart. He's saying, I want, this is where people come to get access to the presence of God and he wants more people to have access he's longing for one more person to enter into friendship with him so this is why he calls it a house of prayer he's referring back to this prophetic passage in Isaiah 56 but he says he, he says and you make it a den of robbers what's What's the deal with that little phrase? 
Well, he's actually, he's pointing to another passage in the Old Testament. And, and that has to do with something a little different. And that brings me to my next question. Um, what has defiled God's house, the Father's house? What is it, why, why is it that it's defiled, that he needs to cleanse it? And it wasn't just the tables. It wasn't just the pigeons, right? What defiles us is not, it's, it's not the stuff on the outside. Jesus said it's, it's not what goes into the body that defiles a person, but what comes out, the evil intentions of the heart, the evil words that we speak. This is what defiles the temple. And here's what Jeremiah 7 is talking about. Jeremiah 7 is, is where this little phrase, den of robbers, comes from. And listen, when, when Jesus uses a, a phrase from the Old Testament like that, it's not just because he, he needed to do that to, to prove it to, you know. Every time he spoke, it's inspired. Every single time he speaks, it's Scripture. But when he uses Scripture from the Old Testament, it's very intentional. He is pointing to something. He's teaching. And so just as he's teaching, when he uses that phrase, my house shall be called a house of prayer, he's teaching when he uses this phrase, den of robbers, and here's what he's getting at. In, in Jeremiah 7, the context of this is God is angry with his people who are going through the religious motions but don't really love him. He says, will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you've not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered, only to go on doing all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. And, and in this passage, God is really angry. He tells Jeremiah a little bit later in that passage, Jeremiah, do not even pray for them. I will not listen to you. I will not hear you. That's how done he is. What is it that, that, is, that he's so angry with? He's angry with the hypocrisy. He's angry with a people who have no heart to really repent. You, you commit these things, you come in, you say, we're delivered, and then you go back out and you do them all again. He's angry because he doesn't have the hearts of his people. And man, I have been asking myself some hard questions this week. Weeping over my own sin, just, God, God, you haven't had my whole heart. And so I want to ask you, does God have your whole heart? The whole thing? Or, or are you going through the motions? Are you coming in to his house and you're singing the songs and you're doing the, the prayers and, 
taking communion and hearing the sermon, and, 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 and you, you're not really yearning for holiness. You're not really yearning for Christ to be formed in you, for the Spirit of God to possess you and control you and lead you, and for Him to be honored by your life, for you to please Him in everything that you do. You know, the church today, can still, we can still defile ourselves with our sin. I'll show you that in just a second. And God wants our hearts. He wants our whole hearts. Not, not, not for us to go through the religious motions. He wants relationships. He wants all of us. So, hopefully that brings you to this question, brought me to this question, how does this house get cleansed? How do we get cleansed? Jesus cleanses God's house in this story. What's that look like for us? And I see two things in the story. First of all, Jesus has to come in and take up residence. And second of all, tables have to get flipped over. And people have to get drive, driven out. And the way that things were operating in the temple has to change. And so there's two parts to this answer. How does this, his house get cleansed? Um, and one, the first part is that Jesus must, he must cleanse us and, and 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 more accurately if you're a believer jesus has cleansed you and so this is the first part of the answer okay is we are cleansed by the blood of jesus through faith in him that's the first part first john 1 7 says if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Praise God. This is the good news of the gospel. Blessed is the man or woman whose sins are forgiven. Psalm 32. Whose transgressions are covered. He forgives he covers, he cleanses. Hebrews 9, 14. Talking about the old sacrificial system. Maybe I don't have that one. Um, it says, how much more than bulls and goats' blood, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Here's what the blood of Jesus does. Positionally, you are clean before God. Hidden in Christ, your sins are covered and forgiven, and positionally, you stand before him holy and blameless in Christ. Um, our consciences are, are cleansed. It's okay. She doesn't have to go. Our consciences are cleansed. We can come before him 
without fear. We can, we can approach God without fear of condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We can draw near with hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. That's what's true of us because of what Christ has done for us. And when we put our faith in him, we are cleansed by his blood. And here's the second part of, of the answer. The Bible talks about how many times there are things that are true of us. They're true of us because God declares it to be so, and positionally it's true. And then the Bible says, because that's true of you, live in light of that, as though that's true. Like, for example, the Bible says you're, you're no longer a slave to sin. You're not. So, don't let sin control you. Yeah. Right? Or, you, you've been adopted. That's what's true of you. You are an adopted child of God. Live like children of God. That's what the Bible does. And the same thing is true here. Hebrews 10, 14 says, For by a single offering, by, by Jesus' death on the cross, he has perfected, past tense, has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. It's saying he has perfected those who are still in process. And that's the way that the Bible talks all the time. And this same thing is true for the church. The church has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, and we need to cleanse ourselves from every defilement through faith-filled repentance. Here's what 2 Corinthians 7.1 says. Since we have these promises that God will be your Father, that, you, that He will dwell among His people, these, those are the promises in this passage. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. It can't be much clearer than that, but there's more verses. This is, this is the calling for us, church. Our sin does matter. It's not, the gospel is not just like, okay, you're cleansed of sin and therefore it matters not how you live anymore. This is the exact thing that Paul is addressing as he's, as he's laying out the gospel in Romans and he gets to Romans 6 and he's like, so what shall we say then? That we shall go on sinning that grace may abound? By no means. That's, that's not what the gospel is saying. It's saying, now, no, 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 you've been forgiven. You've been cleansed. Now, now live holy. Live free of sin. And that's, that's what the, the church, the church is called to cleanse itself, to purify itself, starting with you and, and you and me. We've got to cleanse our lives. Why? Why Why does it matter if we're forgiven and, and blood-bought and redeemed and if we stand before God positionally, why does it matter? Let me show you why it matters. What happens when the house is cleansed? That's my fifth question. What happens when the house is 
cleansed. Look at the story in Matthew 21, 14 through 16. It says, And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. Here's what happens as soon as the temple is cleansed. The lost find Jesus. Jesus and his works are put on display. And he receives the worship that he's due. You see that? The lost find Jesus. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. His works are on display. Verse 15. They saw the wonderful things that he did. And then verse 15 again. Hosanna to the son of David. The children cry out. He receives the worship that he's due. And this will happen in a church that is cleansed as well. Because here's the, here's the reality that the, what the Bible teaches. God's Spirit moves powerfully among a people who are fully submitted to Him. Who take holiness seriously. It just, He, he does. He does. We grieve Him with our with our unbelief and our sin and our rebellion, but he moves freely. He's prepared praise to come from the, the mouths of nursing babies and infants. He moves freely in a submitted church. Um, you know, I don't know if you've studied any of the historic revivals that have taken place. A revival is where God's Spirit is poured out in a time and place on a people and just crowds of people come to know Jesus. But do you know, if you've ever read about these revivals, do you know what always precedes the outpouring? Repentance. The church getting serious about repentance. Always, always. A.W. Tozer said, Have you noticed how much praying for revival has been going on of late and how little revival has resulted? I believe the problem is that we have been trying to substitute praying for obeying, and it simply will not work. Every great revival began with a fresh burning desire to obey in every way. Read about the revivals and see. It's biblical. Here's what it says in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. The Bible puts it this way in another place. Judgment begins at the household of God. And, and he, revival always begins, it doesn't begin in the streets. Revival begins in the church every time. The church is revived 
first. And you know, it usually starts with one person. One person gets revived first. The Spirit is poured out on one person, and, and they're on fire for Jesus, and then the fire spreads, and a few others, and then they begin to pray and repent and weep, and then the next thing, whew, the whole church is repenting of sin and cleansing themselves of every defilement. And then it spills into the streets. So it does matter that we cleanse ourselves from every defilement. Here's the way that Paul puts it in Timothy, to to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. There it is. You want to be useful to the Lord. You want to be used by Him. Cleanse yourself from whatever is dishonorable. God is willing. He's willing. It says in Second um, Chronicles that the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the whole earth. There it is. To give strong support to those whose heart is blameless, the word there is whole, whose heart is whole toward him, whose entire heart is his. He, he, he is looking the earth over. He is searching Burlington and South Burlington and all of Chittenden County and beyond. He's looking all over Vermont saying, I want to strongly support someone whose heart is fully mine. Will it be yours? Will it be ours? What might he do in this place and through this place if our hearts are fully his? What might he do? I can tell you what I do know. The loss will be found by him. The person and works of Jesus will be put on display and he will receive the worship that he's due. May that happen here. Let's pray. Oh God. Oh God, I want you to do this here. I want to see, I want to see revival, God. I want to see it happen in my heart, in my home first. God, I want to see a passion for your name, a love for you that burns within us like fire. God, I want to see one more person found, transformed, filled with the Spirit of God and another and another and the next and the next. God, I want to see you move through this state. Our world is so dark, so lost, so confused. We want you to come down, God. We want you to come down. 
But we also know it means rearranging the furniture. We know that it means changing how things have been operating. And so, God, as best as we can right now, we yield to you. We submit. God, we just say, please tell us what to do, how to do it, and empower us to do it by your Spirit. Thank you that you have cleansed us, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you that we stand before you blameless, that we can approach your throne with boldness, that we can come in with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Thank you, Jesus, and help us to yearn for holiness. Help us to be a house of prayer, a people who pray, God, this Thursday night, this Thursday night at our encounter night, I pray that, that we would show up in droves, excited to cry out to God, to take hold of you, to see you do something powerful in our day. Oh, Lord, move among us. Make us into the people you want us to be. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.